Can I ask you a question? Have you ever done something in your life that after the fact you realize was real stupid? You can clap for that. <laughs> Amen. That's me, Pastor. I read this meme on, on Facebook this morning as I was driving to church. You shouldn't be on Facebook and driving. I was in the drive through and, and it said everything happens for a reason. You know how somebody, something bad happens in your life, well, everything happens for a reason. I'm going to trust God. And it said, yes, everything happens for a reason. And some of those reasons are you are stupid and made a bad decision. And sometimes, if you could just bring me down a little bit, I'm, I'm blaring out here. Sometimes we do things that we don't measure the consequences that could possibly happen thereafter. Let me just give you some real-life solutions. Me, 14 years old, my friends had pellet guns and BB guns, and we had, and we had paintball guns, and it was not a good idea to go to the woods and back of coals and play war. Ended up with a pellet in my skull, had to get cosmetic surgery. Not good idea. Didn't think it through. Had no eyeglass wear, no protective gear, nothing. Running in the woods, shooting at each other, and going for headshots with BB guns. Not a good idea. I was like 17 years old, maybe 18, Milford Amusement. Somebody upset me, cussing out Milford cops. Not a good idea. They arrested me, smashed my face into the floor, gave me a bruise from here to here. Not a good idea. Sometimes you don't think things through. In the moment, it sounded good to call him a pig. But when his foot was on my face, it, was, it was, went from pig to officer. Uh, officer. Officer. Really quick. Not a good idea. I remember I was about 13 years old, and I was working at this construction job with my Uncle Daniel. He can build anything. And he was doing this renovation in this lady's basement named Sue. I'll never forget Sue's name because I wrecked Sue's house. I was maybe 13 or 14. And one day, he left us to do demolition. He was having us pull down all of the sheetrock on the ceiling. And I was like, you know, this is taking way too long. And so me and my friend, we took, and I got a sawzall. That's just a, 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 basically a drill with a, with a saw that just goes like this. And so we took the sawzall, and I started walking down the basement on, on this ladder. I was on this little platform they built, and I was just cutting, just cutting sheetrock, just oblivious to the fact that there might be other stuff inside the sheetrock. And then I hit the main power line that fed upstairs. Sparks everywhere. Daniel had to come back and fix it. Not a good idea. I just didn't think it through. And those are things that we do that are dumb that we don't think through. Sometimes it seems like a good idea at the time. I remember one time I was riding my bike by that little, little uh, Catholic shrinery over there on Park Avenue, and I was going down all these, these, these really steep stairs, and I was not a mountain bike rider. I wasn't that kid who was going to be an urban bike rider. That wasn't me. I was a stay-at-home gamer. Played basketball in my backyard. Rollerblades, skateboarding, and bikes were not my thing. I had a bike. I wasn't that kid. But my cousin Jason did it, so I'm like, if he can do it and he's smaller than me, I can do it. I had to walk home because I broke my bike, and I walked home like this because my knee was jacked. <laughs> Cut up, straight up, everything. And it's just one of those things where we just didn't really think it through. And I have this question that I want to present to you that I wonder if you think it through every day. Because sometimes you can do good and godly things and not think about the repercussions it will have on somebody else. And here's the question I want to answer for you today. Here's the question. I won't have all the answers. I'll have three of the answers the Lord placed on my heart. So don't think that I'm, I'm saying that I have all the answers. But I want to answer this question for you. Because it seems like the church has a problem doing something God commanded us to do. It seems like nowadays the church has a real big issue with trying to do exactly what God said. And sometimes you want to do the big things and not the basic things. In 1 John, we've been on this series called In Him, what it means to have an abiding life inside of Christ, what it means to have a life inside of his will, what it means to have a life to have an assurance of your salvation. And here's the question I want to ask you today. What happens when I love like God commanded? What happens when I love people like God commanded me to? It just seems like in the church, there's a lot of trouble loving 
people. It's a lot of trouble loving one another sometimes, let alone loving those who have hurt you. I'll say it to you like this. Sometimes it's hard to love the people who love you, let alone the ones who hate you. How am I supposed to love the people that hate me if I can't love the ones that love me? And we see repeatedly in Scripture, we see John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 15, 16, he repeats this theme where Jesus says to his disciples, you must love how I have loved you, and that is how people will know you are my disciples, if you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, you must love. And then, after you do that, people will know you are his disciples. What happens when I love like God commanded? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John. And we're in the fourth chapter now. We've made our way all the way to chapter 4. My hope today is that you would leave wanting and willing and ready to show the love of God in your life. To just make the love of God known through your heart. Despite what you go through, despite your life circumstances. And as you're turning to 1 John chapter 4, remember, he wrote this book, I'm going to tell you, every week for three reasons. The first reason was that he was an actual eyewitness to the life of Jesus Christ. All the other disciples had now been dead for maybe 10, 15 years. And now John is the only last remaining eyewitness to the life of Christ. And and there's been a false doctrine that has entered the church that Jesus didn't show up in real form. He only showed up as a spirit being, which was not true. He came in the flesh. And so John primarily first, he wrote this book to lend credibility to the deity and the life of Christ. John says, no, I was an eyewitness. It gets no better than an eyewitness. You know, somebody comes and tells you, oh, so-and-so got jumped, and then this happened, that happened, this happened. Were you there? No, but I heard it from, I don't want to hear it. Because half your facts are probably wrong. It's like that game telephone. By the time the message gets to the end, it's all jacked up. The second reason was, besides the fact that they said that Jesus wasn't Christ, wasn't the Messiah, he wasn't God, there were a number of other false doctrines, docetism and Gnosticism, that were entering into the church. They were saying that sin wasn't real, that now that because Jesus had defeated sin, you could live how you wanted, you could live immorally, and that wasn't true. They were mixing paganism with Christianity. Can't be done. It's Christ alone and Christ only. That's it. No other way. And so he wrote it for that reason. But the third reason is the greatest reason. And it's the reason that should excite you the most. He wrote this to the believer, the mature believer. These were second-generation Christians, meaning the church was over 40 years old now. And so he's writing to a new wave of Christians, and he had to teach them that they had what we call in doctrine and theology, the study of God, an assurance of salvation. An assurance of salvation, meaning that you were assured your salvation as a believer. You were assured it. No one could take it away from you if you're trusting in Jesus Christ. No one. And and you have to understand that he's writing it for these three reasons, and he's told them many things so far. He's told them to love their brothers. He's told them not to love the world. He's told them not to live into false doctrines. He's told them all manner of things. He's told them not to be hypocritical. He's told them to act like Christ. He's compelled them over and over and over. And now in chapter 4, as he's kind of winding up before he gives his big closing, he says this in verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 4, 1 John the epistle. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes, and the whole church said, from God. For everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Your Bible might say as a a propitiation for our sins. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also 
ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Come on, bow your heads right where you're sitting in Jesus' name. Father, teach us to love this day. Father, teach us to humble ourselves and to love according to your word. Father, teach us to open our ears today that we might hear your word, hear your heart, and it might fall on good ground in the mighty name of Jesus. And the whole church said amen. John declares to his readers that love in and of itself comes from God. And then he takes it one step further and he says, not only does God love, but God actually is, somebody say is, love. This means that love is literally the DNA of God. This means that everything that God does and everything that God ever planned, everything that God ever said, everything that God ever wrote has been predicated by his love. Meaning that everything that God did was motivated by his love. Sometimes our actions are motivated by selfishness. Sometimes it's motivated by our love. Sometimes it's motivated by hatred. But we can be assured that everything that God did was motivated, somebody say, by love. And then he says this, and you didn't love God first. Surprisingly, God loved us first. God loved you before you had the ability to love him. Like a parent with a child, and the child is one years old, and you're saying, I love you, and the child has no idea what you're saying. Two years old, maybe they start to grasp it, I love you. And once they say that, your heart just melts. Once your child tells you something like mama or papa, you just begin to melt. But when they say something like, I love you, I can almost guarantee you, you almost die. So I hope my daughter just holds off. I don't want to die yet. But yet God loved us first. God is unlike other gods. For other gods hated humanity, but God, the Father, loves us. And how did he show his love? He showed this love by sending his one and only son to die in place of your sins. To die in your place, to pay that price for your sins. A price you could never pay because you were not holy enough, you were not righteous enough. Contrary to many old Greek mythological gods, every Roman god, Hinduism, those gods hate humanity. Zeus hated humanity. Ares was trying to destroy the world. All these different, these different gods, they had all different types of problems with humanity. And here's what would happen. Every single religion had a realization of sin. Every single religion had an obvious knowledge that there was a need to reconcile with God. But the difference was, was that old gods like the Greek gods and the mythological gods, they hated humanity. So in order that they wouldn't destroy us, they made animal sacrifices to appease the gods. They would kill people, one another, to appease the gods. They would sacrifice their babies to appease the gods. Here's how God is different. That God didn't make you bring a sacrifice. He gave the sacrifice, not because he hated you, but because he loved you. God is different from them. That's what the word propitiation means. That he appeased himself. He appeased his own desire for righteousness and holiness in your life by casting your sins on his son that you might in turn take his righteousness on. So when you see Jesus is the atonement or the propitiation for my sins, what God is saying is that he is the price payer. He is the bearer of your sins. He is the thing that satisfied God. Amen. That makes sense. I don't want to move forward and not have you have this foundation. He satisfied himself. Every other God demanded from humanity, but yet God is not a taker, God is a giver. For John 3, 16, we know it well. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God's a giver. That's what we give in return to God. 
Why? Because God first gave. And so John says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And then he says something powerful. He says something amazing. He says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, he lives in us. Remember, we're answering the question, what happens when I love like God has commanded me? Here's my first point today. When I love like God commanded me, and he told us to, here it is, I make an invisible God visible. I make the invisible God visible. Well, pastor, how is he visible? He becomes visible through my actions, visible through my life. Visible through everything that I do, it should be predicated by God's love. If everything God does is predicated by his love, then everything you do and say should be predicated, meaning the, the, the beginning point of it should be God's love. This makes sense to you so far. If I am going to love like God told me to, it means that the world will see God for the first time in me. There's the old saying, you might be the only God some people see. We're not calling you God. We're declaring that some people might only see God through your life, through your actions. But then the contrary is just as true that some people will never see God based on your actions, based on your mouth, based on your attitude and your lifestyle. As a matter of fact, if you're God, because you claim to be Christian and we're supposed to have God in us, if that's God living in you, some of you, I wouldn't even want that kind of God. But we should be purifying ourselves, living after God's heart. John clearly says that God lives in us. In that moment, the invisible becomes visible. In that moment, the intangible actually becomes tangible because people can see God in you. Have you ever maybe done something for someone and they said, oh man, you are a godsend. Meaning that you are like God in this situation because no one else could have answered their prayers at the time. They are literally saying that they're seeing God in you. Because only God is good, and only God is great, and only God is loving. Only God. Only God. And here's the thing. God, how do I put this to you? Love is not an emotion. That goes for marriage. That goes for relationships. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. Do you know how I know it's a choice? Because God commands me to do it. God doesn't command my emotions. That would make him a slave master. But he can command my actions. He can give me directions. He says, you have to love as I have loved. Love is a choice. Ask every married couple in the building. Amen. All the women laughed and the men said, Amen. Or somebody just texted me, yes, pastor, where's my phone? Oh, my God. <laughs> love is a choice. There's days you want to kill somebody, and the church said amen. But love says don't. Because why? God is living in us, so our decisions have to be godly. We say it all the time that you might be the only Jesus some people will ever see. Are they seeing a loving God? The love God has for you is absolutely radical. He sent his only son to die on a cross for your sins. He sent his son to do things you could never do. Do you realize that in turn God is calling you to do for the world things they could never do for themselves? That God is calling you to lay down your life as he did, that you might do it for others? Do you realize that God's love in you makes him visible? And thus, if it makes God visible in you, you should have the actions and the attributes of God in your life? You should show forgiveness. You should show grace. You should have mercy on people. You should have the long-suffering of God. You should have the fruit of the Spirit. Everything starts from God's love. Because from his love, everything else is poured out. It didn't say God is forgiveness. It says God is love. At his core, at his essence, God is love. 
Do you love people through their worst times? Do you love people when they have hurt you? It's got quiet. I heard somebody say, nice. <laughs> Do you love people when they badmouthed you? Do you love people when they've wronged you? Or do we harbor the hurt? And do we let loose the love that God called us to? It's hard to be loving when unforgiving has got you tied up. And here's, uh, can I just walk up somebody's street? I said it two weeks ago, and I go there again today. If you have a problem building relationships with people, that is Satan's plan in your life that others might not see God in you. If you, if you have a problem trusting people, and I know we've all been hurt, but yet if we've properly forgiven those who have hurt us, we can live to love again. We can live to be trusting again. But when we're living in hurt, and some of us, how is it said, you get addicted to the pain. It's like the, it's like the man who has a problem in his body. Maybe it's back pain, and, and he gets addicted to the prescription drugs. But in order to have the drugs, he has to have the pain. And some of you are addicted to God coming around you over and over again and restarting your life. You're addicted to all that sympathy people give you, and so you live in the pain rather than setting yourself free. You, you don't want to be healed because you have to let go of the drug. You don't want God to heal your heart because you have to let go of feeling like, oh, my life is so terrible. Nobody wants to be around me because my life is so bad. You're living in the hurt, not being free to trust. Do people see God in you? You see, when I love my brother in Christ, when I love my family, when I love my wife, my children, when I love the stranger, the ones who've hurt me, when I do that, I am exemplifying Christ. And let me tell you something, and I won't go deep into it, but on a personal level, God is showing me that the fact that I have loved people in the midst of them talking about me, it is paying dividends in my life right now. It is paying. God is showing me that he is going to keep me on the path as long as I show God's love. If I don't show God's love, I've taken the battle into my own hands. When I love others as Christ loved me, they see God in me. The love God has for me was radical. Do you have radical love for other people? You know, when we moved into Basic, we had a number of issues uh, technologically that we had to to, to get over to try and create a good stage. And one of the problems that we had was, was this stage is 40 feet deep and is 28 feet wide. Means nothing to you and that's okay. <laughs> and we had bought this projector, not this one here, another one that's back at the Howard Ave campus. And we bought this projector and this projector was called a short throw projector. And what that means, it's only supposed to take a short distance to create a big picture. But what we found was the manufacturers were liars. And their idea of a short distance throw projector was it would take 23 feet for it to actually show the full size of this screen that I needed, which would put me right about here. It would mean that I would have to have the rest of all this equipment and everything behind the stage that you can't even see start right here. And I said to myself, that is not possible. It's going to be a really small stage. I might as well stay at Howard Ave for that matter. It's going to be a small stage. And then I called my friend up, and he, his name is Kevin Rosa. He, he does this stuff for a living. And he says, Lewis, get a mirror. I'm like, I know what I look like. <laughs> Dude, come on. He's like, no, for real, get a mirror. And what you don't know is that we used to have backstage a mirror about this big, a perfect square. And we would take and we would shoot the picture at the mirror and bounce it onto the screen. And in order to do that, or rather, when we did that, it cut the distance in half that we needed. Pastor, what are you saying? Pastor, what, what exactly are you saying? That God is trying to shine a picture into your life, bouncing you off of Jesus Christ, 
to have the full image of God, that you might display him in all of his grandness, in all of his love, but some of you are still stuck in that fake short throw projector and you can't seem to have any room in your life to love because you got too much hate, too much bitterness, too much baggage, too much pain, and too much of everything to actually love people. And how can you love God's people if you can't even love yourself? Short throw projectors, amen. (laughs) Do you love like God has called you to? Some of us don't love because we're afraid, afraid to love the lost, afraid to love those who've done us wrong because we're afraid they might do it again. And you know what Jesus says about that? He says, turn the other cheek. The disciples said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he said, seven times 70. He wasn't giving an exact number. He was just showing you should never stop loving and forgiving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you might say, well, pastor, some people in this church have hurt me, and I don't want to talk to them. And we're supposed to be your family, family this and family that. I don't know about you, but my family, sometimes I don't want to talk to them. Sometimes family can hurt you. Sometimes family upsets you. It could be a brother, a sister, a mother, a dad, an uncle, a cousin, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you don't want to talk to them. But we have the old saying, blood is thicker than water. And recently, a tragedy struck my family, and we united like that. I had an uncle who hadn't spoken to his sisters in maybe 13 years over things that had happened in his family. I mean, there was bitterness and hatred, and at this funeral that we were at, They approached one another and they made amends right there. And people just began to cry because amends were made. Someone even just said hello. All my uncle said was, I'll go to your house and forget it. The floodgates opened up because there was hatred and God replaced it with love. At the end of the day, the body of Christ is all we have. And we should be there and love one another through everything. Because that's what God desires. And then outside of that, you should love the lost, love the hurting, love the homeless, love the broken, love the drug addict, love the prostitute, love them all. Because God commands us to love. I've told some of you the story before that my father, one time when I was maybe about 10 years old, I don't even know, we were driving down Clinton Avenue where the Nehemiah Commission is, rather, uh, excuse me, State Street and, and Fairfield where they meet, that little building that's right in the middle. And that used to be a, that little whole yard and that little playground, there used to be a place where prostitutes hung out. Used to be a lot of prostitutes there. And one night, my dad went over there and picked up a prostitute with all of us in the car. <laughs> my mom's in the front seat. And he walks by over there and goes, are you hungry? Yeah. You want to go? Get out of here? Yeah. And so he took her downtown, and the cops followed us. And they pulled us over. And then they go to the front of the, you know, to the driver's door, and they're like, sir, you know I pull, and they see my mom in the front seat. And they see kids in the back, and they're thinking that my father's a sick man. And I'm just sitting there like, even at that age, I knew what was going on. This is not good. This is not good. But dad had a love for the lost. I remember my mother bringing home, I think I believe it was a heroin addict, to break her habit on my couch over the course of weeks. I've seen my father love extremely, and he was a great example to me to love as God has loved. Do you love as God has commanded you to? Because when you do, when I love, I make the invisible God visible. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him. This is how we know we live in him. Here it goes. He has given us of his spirit. Notice what it says, of his spirit. Not just his spirit. He's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God and God lives in them, they are in God. And so we know And rely, your Bible might say believe, on the love God has for us. For God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. So John continues on this master theme of love. And he says that we know 
that God, that we are in him because he's given us of his spirit. In addition, we have seen that God has sent his son to die for us as the ultimate sacrifice. This is the ultimate act of God's love for you. And he says this is how we know that we love him because we've accepted him into our hearts. Romans 10, 9 says, if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And he says this is how you know that you are in him, that if you live the love that God has given us. If you live this love. This is powerful because the construct of words here that John uses in the original Greek, it means this. It means that when, it doesn't mean that he's given us his spirit. It says he has given us out of his spirit. So we know that we have the spirit of God dwelling in us, but then it says that God has given us out of his spirit. What has he given us? Love. He's given us love. So everything, let me tell you something, every ounce of love you have is borrowed from God. He's given us out of his spirit the ability to love, the ability to be a light for Christ, the ability. That's powerful that God has let me borrow some love for him for me to spread around the world. That God has given me the ability to be a light for him. Here's point number two, really simple. When I love, I am a testimony of God. I'm a testimony of God. Some people will never see God. They'll never believe God. They never believe that God exists. We live in a day and age where people try to refute Jesus left and right. No one cares about Muhammad. No one cares about Allah. It seems like they're all ganging up on Jesus. Why? Because they will always go after the ones who have power. That's the truth. You know what I see a lot? People get involved in certain types of businesses and they want to call the pastor and give me a life-changing opportunity. Oh, pastor, I got this opportunity for you. We can make so much money. I've been in this business for two weeks now. And da 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 This is a great company. We're known worldwide. Now it's we and no more eyes than me. It's we and us and ours. I'm sitting there. Give me your spiel. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because the, the real thought process is if I can get the pastor, he'll try to pimp the church into going into the business. That's not me. You got the wrong guy. I'm here to preach and teach, disciple and mentor. I'm not here to fleece the flock and make money off people, and that's not me. And so I always give them, can I see your last check from this job? <laughs> well, what happens is, can I see your last check from now? Well, I got to get a number of people under me. Can I see your last check from now? I want to see the evidence. I want to see the proof. If I don't see the proof and or the evidence, I don't want to hear about your business. I just don't. And maybe you might make some residual income off your business, but I don't have time to pimp that to the church. Pastor, what are you saying? That you are the evidence of God's work. That you are the evidence of God's truth. That you are the evidence of God's forgiving power. That you are the evidence of God's healing power. Because the spirit of love is in you, and the spirit of God is in you, indwelt in you. You've been forgiven. You've been receiving grace by God. You've not been condemned for your sins. You've been transferred into life, not death. Don't you understand, church, that you are the evidence of God. And so when you act ungodly, you're a pretty bad testimony. And so how could the world believe in a God when his people are acting fake? It's like the witness to a, test, to a case. If the witness is a banker who has a master's degree, he's much more credible than the crackhead on the corner. Because they would say, oh, he's a drug addict. He's this. He's that. What would they say about the banker? Oh, he had an affair. What can they say? Pastor, what are you saying? I am saying to you that you can be a credible witness of the glory of God. You are a testimony of God. You can testify to the goodness. John says we testify. He's talking about the disciples. We testify to the reality of Jesus Christ. We can say it was real. We saw the blind eyes open. We saw the lame man leap. We saw the deaf man hear. We saw the dumb man speak. We saw it. We saw the dead raise up. We saw Jesus ascend into heaven. You are the proof of God. You're the proof of God that you should be dead, but Jesus, you should have killed yourself that time, but God delivered you. You should have been gone by now. Your marriage should have been in divorce, but God saved it. 
Your children should be dead, but God delivered them. Your life should be broken, but God brought healing. You were molested, but God brought you down from it. You were hurting, but God brought a new thing into your life. You're the testimony of God. And when you love like he told you to, you will begin to testify about the goodness of God. And people will see God in you. And you can testify to his goodness and to his grace and to his mercy. I heard a recent statistic that 8 out of 10 people said, if my friend invited me to church, I would go. The problem is the church doesn't testify. Oh, I don't want to hear about your Jesus. I want to respect other people's opinion. I don't care about nobody's opinion when it comes to Jesus. I'm going to declare his goodness. I'm going to shout his greatness. I'm going to declare his great works in my life. In hopes that somebody might see the sign. Somebody might see the light that was shining. Somebody. It's like Batman. Somebody say amen. amen. Whenever they wanted Batman, they would shine the light in the sky and he would just magically appear. And whenever the Lord wants to see people saved, he sends his people out to be lights. You don't have time to dim yourself anymore. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you shared your faith with someone? When's the last time you actually said to someone, you know, Jesus Christ loves you and you don't have to live in that pain? When's the last time you walked to somebody and said, are you tired of the hurt and the brokenness? When's the last time you said to someone, oh, are you truly satisfied with your life? Because if not, I know someone who can bring living waters to you. I can be a testimony of his great love. Just like I would say to people, show me the check. Show me. They would see you having lunch with the people you once hated. They would see you making peace with those who tried to make war with you. They would see you sitting next to the people who hurt you all throughout your past. They would see you in a marriage restored and not broken. And the last time you spoke to them, you were talking bad about your spouse, but now God has brought healing. And now they're wondering, like, wow, you're acting brand new. No, God made me brand new. God has done a work in me. God has done a healing in me. If we would let God in us, we would be a testimony of God's great mercy in our lives. God's great love. God's great power. I don't know about you. I want to be a testimony of God. And Satan, the enemy of your soul, would do anything in his power to get you from showing the love of God because he doesn't want people to see God. The greatest lie Satan ever told is that God doesn't exist and many have believed it. But if you would exemplify the life of Christ, if you would exemplify the love of God and do as you're commanded to, to love your brothers, to love the, to love the lost, to love the hurting, love the broken, the world would never be the same because they would see God in a true fashion. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, John writes this. This is how his love is made complete among us, that we have a confidence on the day of judgment. And in this world, we are like Jesus. That's so powerful. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. We sang about it earlier because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. In other words, your love is just a reaction, not an action. Your love is a reaction to God's action of loving you. God has loved you first. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they can see cannot love a God who they cannot see. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and love their sister. Anyone who loves God must love people. But before I get there, John said something absolutely powerful. Remember, the third reason, the main reason he is writing this book to the church is for the assurance of salvation. Here's my third point, really simple, my closing point. When I love like God commanded to me to, I have a confidence before God. What does that mean to have confidence before God? Not arrogance, just simple, peaceful, a strength of a confidence. And John says this, he says this, this is how God's love is made complete, that you would have confidence on the day of judgment. 
Do you understand that? He's taking you from the beginning of salvation where God started his love process all the way to the end where you were being judged. This is how God makes his love complete. In other words, this is how God makes his love come full circle. This is how God makes his love fulfilled in us. That you would have a godly confidence on the day of your judgment. And when we say judgment, a lot of Christians get really antsy about that word judgment. We're like, oh, I don't like to talk about judgment, Pastor. But there's good news for the believer. There's really good news for the believer. Let me read a scripture to you from 1 Corinthians chapter, if I can find it here. 1 Corinthians, and I'm in chapter 3, verse 12. Listen to what Paul says. If any man builds on this foundation, what foundation? The foundation of salvation, the work of God, the work of Jesus. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, meaning of judgment, the day of judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man. Somebody say work. If what he built has survived, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved but only as one escaping through the flames. In this passage, Paul gives six things. Three of them are regular, three of them are costly. He says gold, silver, precious stones. In other words, if you build upon your salvation, if you build upon it with great works that honor God, if you serve the homeless, if you feed the hungry, if you clothe the naked, and you do it with the right heart, and you do it with the right spirit, and you do it to honor God, and you begin to build the kingdom, you begin to save souls, you begin to reach the lost, if you do it, when it goes through the flames, it will survive. But if your lifestyle doesn't honor God, those are the three regular things, wood, hay, and straw. If your lifestyle doesn't honor God and you do things with the wrong motive or you keep on falling into the wrong path, he says when it goes through the fire to be tested, because the fire tests everything, when you go through the fire to be tested, it will burn up. And your life will be shown to not be of value when you were saved. What you have to understand is there is two different judgments, church. There is the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment that is for the believers, and there is the great white throne judgment that is for the unbelievers. Are you hearing me? At the judgment seat of Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. It is not to determine whether you're saved or not. It is so that you might be judged for your life after you've been saved to see if what you've done has been the will of God. It is not a moment where you will lose your salvation. It is not a moment where he said, no, nope, messed up too much, and then say enough prayers. You're going to hell. No, he says, in other words, this is why we always say that God is our judge. God gave him the power to judge. Nobody else. And he will judge on the last day. And this is what John is saying right here. Here it all is in a nutshell. That when you love like God commanded you to, when you love with the center of God in you and you're loving from the heart of the Father, when you're loving like that, church, and when you're doing what God commanded you, you can be assured that the actions of your life are the will of God. When you're truly showing the love of God, then the works of your heart are of gold, silver, and precious stones. That when you're loving like Christ commanded you to, you don't have to worry about what anyone says because the life that protrudes from you is that of Christ. And then he says this, and when you know that, when you know that you've done the right thing, and I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. We all know there are days where we messed up. Don't walk over here acting like you're holy. I'll bring you down a peg or two. Romans chapter 5, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have our days. He said this clearly. He said clearly, clearly, clearly. If you love like you are commanded to, and you do that, that when you go before God, there will be not one doubt in your mind that God is pleased with you. And so John says this. This is how God makes it complete. Here's my last point for you right there. That you will walk before God with a boldness. And here, here's the lie of the enemy. 
the lie of Satan is that you've not done enough. The lie of Satan is that you're not good enough. The lie of Satan is that the time that you fell far away the things that you've done for the Lord. The lie of Satan is that the things in your life are too bad for God to ever, 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 ever overlook. And that is the biggest lie you could ever believe. Because what John is saying here, he says, all you have to do, he started from chapter 1. If you, he says, I am writing this to you, chapter 2, that you would not sin. But if you do, you have. One, a righteous one, verse 4, who laid down his life for you as an atonement for your sins, verse 6, 7, and 8. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Why? So that you can go on to continue to love your brother as God commanded you to. Why? So that you might be able to stand before God with a holy confidence. A confidence. Your Bible might say a boldness. But I would stand before God with a boldness. He says, I am, I am assured my life, God. I know the choices I've made, Lord Jesus. And I haven't been perfect, but I have always strived after your heart. I've pursued the things you've called me to. I've done the will of God. I've loved my brother. If you can do anything for God, if you can do any, if you want to do the greatest thing that God would desire of you, it's not to build a church building with your bare hands. It's not to be the biggest giver in the church. Because you can't do any of those things. You can't go across the world and be an evangelist. You can't go and be a missionary to the world if you have the inability to love God's children. just won't happen church because then everything else would be wood, hay, and straw because the foundation of God's reason for saving you was love and God says over and over throughout scripture love your neighbor love your brother we're going to have a really awkward moment look to somebody right now just look at anybody somebody I love you isn't that weird Spirit of awkwardness in the church of God. Isn't that crazy? You see, I had a, a young man from the church, a teenager from our youth group, and he brought somebody to church. He brought one of his friends to church. And when I was leaving, I said to the young man who was from our church, I said, I love you, bro. And the guy just looked at me and goes, you guys are weird talking about you love one another. And I felt like telling him, but I let him go. No, you're weird because you don't know how to love another fella. Because the world would stop you from building proper relationships that people would never see God in you. Can I talk to every woman today? If you got a problem trusting other women, look here. Because God's love perfected is a confidence before him. You don't have to fear. Why you don't have to fear? John said it right here. Because fear has to do with punishment. You would go before God in fear because you don't do enough. But God says, no, don't come in fear because my perfect love has cast out all your fears. My perfect love has cast out all of your fears. And you can come before me knowing that my blood from my son was good enough for every mistake you ever made, for every sin you ever committed, for everything you've ever done. Pastor, pastor, why should I love like Christ has loved me? I don't know if I can love like Christ has loved me. I just don't know if I can do what you're talking about. Because church, when you love, you make the invisible God visible. When you love, you become a testimony of the power of God. And when you love, you can walk before God with a holy boldness, knowing that you're doing the will of God in your life. Would you bow your heads right now? Stand to your feet first and then bow your heads. Don't want nobody falling over here. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed.
Come on, just bow your heads all across this sanctuary. The amazing thing about God is that the Bible says when two or three are gathered in his name, he's in the midst of us. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's going to be freedom. And I believe with all my heart that he's here right now working on people's lives. Working on your spirit. Working in the deepest parts, speaking to you to the inner man and there's many people here today but we all have one need and that is to go before God and say God what are you saying to me through this preaching in your own heart ask yourself God what are you saying to me through this preaching are we loving like he has commanded us to love are we doing what he's commanded us to do Dear Heavenly Father, you know every person under the sound of my voice. You know every situation. You know every person who's too hurt to love. You know every heart and every struggle. Would you begin to show us what you want us to do with the words you've spoken to us today? Would you begin to show us what you want us to do with the things you've shared with us? For, Lord, in my heart, I want to make the invisible God visible every day of my life. But, Lord, there's some people here today under the sound of my voice who can't love others because they're so hurt about the past. And I ask you, Father God, that you would begin to release the burden from their hearts. I pray that you would cast your cares at the feet of Christ because he cares for you. Cast your cares upon him. He's with you. Lord, have your way today. That we would not be addicted to the pain, but we would be set free by the grace of God. Receiving your mercy and your forgiveness in this day. Lord Jesus Christ. Come on with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and no one looking at you. I want to ask you today, do you want to stand in faith today with me and say, Pastor, I want to make the invisible God visible with the actions of my life and the actions of my heart. If that's you, you're lifting your hand up as high as you can because you are believing that God, you are believing that God and the world will see God in your life. I'm not asking you if you want to be saved. I'm asking you right now, do you want the world to see God in you. If that's you, you're lifting your hand. I don't care what your position is. If that's you, you're saying, I want the world to see God in me. I want to have a heart of love. And maybe some of you haven't. Maybe some of you don't right now. Maybe some of you struggle with it. Depends on the time of day with you. But God says, no, I want you to show my love continuously. In Jesus' name. Father, you see every hand raised. We're surrendering to you because, Lord, we truly want to display your love. Because, Lord, we want the world to see you in us. We want the world to know that there is a God who sent his only begotten son. That any who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So, Father, we ask you today that you would open our hearts wide for the world to see you in us. God, that you would change attitudes. God, that you would adjust our mentality. God, that you would begin to change us from the inside out. To show your great love that we would not be afraid to love. Be afraid to do your will. In Jesus' name. We want to show your love. Because we're your children, God. We're your child. Come on, take the next few seconds and just tell them, God, let the world see you in me. God, let your love flow from my heart. Let your love flow from my life. Let your love be the thing that changes my community. Let your love be the thing that changes my surrounding. Let your love be the thing that changes the atmosphere of my home, in my marriage, with my children. Let your love give me godly patience. Let your love. Give me a holy passion for the lost. Let your love let me see the drunken with a different set of eyes. Let your love let me see the prostitute with a broken heart. Let your love protrude from my life, God. 
we might be more and more and more and more like our Heavenly Father. It's only your love. In Jesus' name, would you just continue to keep your heads bowed as I pray this second prayer today. As I pray this second prayer in Jesus' name. Is there, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, and if, if this might be for you today, that you walked in here, maybe you were invited by a friend, maybe today you came off of somebody's invitation or of your own accord and you wanted to just see what the church is about and you wanted to come to a church and you said, let me go here. If that's you today, I want to offer you the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because as the Apostle John writes, this is how we know that God is love, that he sent his son to die for us. Maybe you're saying, well, I've given my life to God before, Pastor. But, you know, I've walked away from his will. If you want to rededicate today, if you want to say, God, I want to start over from square one because I've been so far off your path. Come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed. But if that's you, you're lifting your hand as high as you can that we can pray with you today. Thank you. You're lifting your hand as high as you can. I got two hands. Come on. Thank you. Come on. If that's you, you say, I want to, I want to give my heart. I want to give my life. This is it. From this moment on, I'm going to be different. From this moment on, the Holy Spirit, come on, I got four hands. It's coming into my life. The Holy Spirit is going to change me. I got five hands. Come on, and six hands. Come on, the Holy Spirit is working. He's going to change. Seven hands. Come on. Come on. I know God is here. Come on, I know God is with you. God is here to change hearts and lives. He's here to do the unthinkable and change the impossible. Wipe away your sins and give you a clear conscience to heaven. We believe it and we declare it. Come on, church, with boldness and authority, I want you to pray this prayer with those seven people. Dear Heavenly Father, I give you my heart and I give you my life. I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that he is Lord. And I desire to walk with him all the days of my life. So Father, into your hands I commit my spirit
Come on.